Ryan Joseph Whitehead. This is Infinity Rewatch. Did you know that? Oh, I do. I, I knew that this whole time, and I've been waiting for this day so badly. I just have one question. Is it too late to change the name? <laughs> I love that. You know, I, I was trying to figure out how you're going to do the start because I'm like, man, how is he going to tie this to the movie? Because that's always the challenge. Mm-hmm. And you did it so well. Oh, my God. Beautifully done. Beautifully Thank done. you. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's how I roll, kids. Get used Ooh. to it. Uh, welcome to Infinity Rewatch. You have just heard the sexy, dulcet tones of Ryan J. Whitehead. And I yeah. am the woolly mammoth of vocals, Andrew Fantasia. And we are talking about the final film of Phase 2. We're finally capping off Phase 2, Ant-Man. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. This one has had the most rocky road to get to where it needs to get to. I I remember so many things about this movie. Um, I will say, first of all, Ant-Man grew on me. <laughs> Ant-Man grew on me because um, over the years, he didn't get a lot of media representation. Like, he he had a really terrible 90s cartoon uh avengers um and it's i think it's the new avengers can't remember it was a 90s cartoon avengers but it it was a really catchy intro let me tell you it was that 90s action hero era of like gi joe and transformers and all that you know x-men and they wanted they wanted an edgy avengers uh, cartoon and ant-man was the leader in it and it wasn't bad but it wasn't great either it was it does not live up to the x-men uh, echelon of cartoons. So <laughs> yeah, I I didn't know this existed at all. Did it ever cross over with like the Fox Kids X Men or the Fox Kids Spider Man at all? No, it didn't. They didn't cross over, um, or at least not that I've watched far enough into the cartoon. It didn't last very long. I think it only lasted like one full season. Um, and uh, but I I will tell you though, the roster was pretty epic. It was Ant Man, Wasp, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, Tig- Tigra. Tigra, I think it was. Um, Tigra, you never get Falcon. enough Tigra. You can never, you never get enough Tigra. Um, Tigra, and then Falcon, and the first episode was uh, Falcon joining the Avengers, and then they 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 talked about the 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 mighty three, which was Iron Man, Thor, and Cap uh, as he's walking around the mansion. But it was it was uh, oh, and Wonder Man and Scarlet Witch and Vision were uh, were also characters in it, so they had quite a good roster. Oh damn, yeah. Um, but yeah the story was just kind of weird um and it just kind of didn't didn't feel comic booky like it just kind of felt like more like a saturday morning cartoon than a than x-men being like that comic serious tone really feeling um storyline and so it was it was weird but um but yeah ant-man man he really grew on me later on because he got a lot more media representation down the road um as people started playing them and i really was excited for this movie now the funny thing about it i will say to get us started was that i got stoked when the leak happened there was a leak for ant-man and it was test footage about the visual effects of his shrinking ability and what that was going to look like uh and it, it leaked on when edgar wright was directing it uh, and a scene came out on YouTube and they're like, Oh, we got, you know, we got the scene where we're showing Ant-Man and it's a scene where he's in a vent. Um, or no, he's in the office and he shrinks and he heads into a vent or something like that. It's something to do with the vent. 
anyways, but they show how it worked and it was that shadow effect where it like is as is um as he shrinks, it's like shadow uh flashes uh-huh. until he reaches the ant man level. And oh yeah, and so um so they they were testing that and then it was so it was roughly around that scene later on that we'll talk about where the guard's shooting at him and then he jumps onto the gun and then grabs the tie and flips them over. But uh that's how that's how Ant Man video, you know, or Ant Man started getting attention was that first test footage. And this is when Edgar Wright was working on it. And uh man, they went through writers, directors, and then just all over the place, man. That movie was just everywhere. Wow. Yeah, they I mean, I remember the Edgar Wright sort of uh like the announcement and then the announcement of his not directing (laughs) and i remember that bumming me out because edgar wright is one of my favorite writers and directors uh so the the idea of not getting him in the marvel world was a huge bummer for me but that Mm. quickly subsided like it you know it didn't last that bummer period didn't last long for me i was in this sort of state where marvel the mcu had just given me this one-two punch that i was just still staggering from and it's the whole idea of like Yes, you know, I'm not super versed in the comic lore. I don't know much about Marvel Comics, uh, you know, about what the stories are like and everything. But because of growing up with the trading cards and everything, I knew I was familiar with a lot of characters. There are very few Marvel characters that I've never heard of, even if I've never really heard of the storylines or what their Mm. origin is or whatever. So when we got to this point in the MCU where the last, these last two movies were coming out, uh, Avengers age of Ultron and Ant-Man. I remember being blown away twice with the same mindset. I remember walking to the movie theater for age of Ultron and thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to see a movie that has the vision in it. This is like, I can't believe this day has come. And I'm not even like a vision fan. It's just like, here's this obscure character I knew about. And all of a sudden I'm going to get to see him in this movie. And then the same thing happened here. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get to see a movie with Ant-Man in it. Like, this is insanity. Yep. Uh, and it was those two characters that I always, I always, whenever I think of those two movies, I think of that feeling I had on my way to the theater and thinking like, holy crap, it, it, they made an Ant-Man movie. Like, this is it. This is the world we live in now. This is great. <laughs> You know, yeah, no, and, and it's it's true. We do live in a, you know, we live in a world now where we're getting an Ant-Man movie. And to be honest, you know, after reflecting back on Avengers in our in our last podcast, which was a while ago, by the way. 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago. Um, man, we aged so well for 10,000 years. I know, you. right? Um, but uh, I will say, you know, that movie's not as bad as people were making it out to be. I would Age say of Ultron? Yeah. I love Age of Ultron. It was a fantastic movie. I think what people are still struggling with as comic book fans, and I, I'm not speaking for comic fans, so if I'm wrong, guys, feel free to comment. You know, and don't you know, still like our po- like, still feel free to hit that like button on our post and stuff, and leave good comments because I would be happy to read them. Um, I won't I be will... happy to read them, but whatever. <laughs> but I will be saying like we have to let go that it's not going to be exactly like the comics, as long as they're respecting the foundation from the comics and then giving you a new fresh story like let's see where it goes you know i i i was pretty hard on that cottage scene but in the end i think it's i think it was a necessary scene that needed to be told and i think hawkeye needed some grounding to give him give his character a lot of depth 
So I, you know, I'm, I, you know, that's my little rant on that. But I want to point that out because it was a fantastic movie and an Ultron. Uh, it, uh, David Spade, I think it's David Spade, right? Am I uh, not David Spade. No, James Spader. James Spader. There mm-hmm. you go. Thank you. Uh, James Spade. Um, James Spade did an incredible Ultron. Just the way he used the lines and had a good good time with it. Oh my god! And he even got a standing ovation from all the other actors. Uh, for his performance of Ultron, which, you know, mad props for that. But let's get to Ant-Man. Um, and by the way, the intro for the Avengers cartoon, just so you know, it went like, it had like a guitar and went like, Avengers! and it was really cool. Epic. Love that intro. Even though, despite that, the cartoon did not live up to the X-Men life. But Ant-Man grew on me later on in the Ultimate Comics. He He became a little bit more of a dick, but... Uh, pardon, pardon my, pardon my French there, but he became a little bit more of a rude man, and uh, and then he got amazing representation in Avengers: Earth Mightiest Heroes. If you've seen that cartoon, um, which I know you haven't yet, and yet and yet it's been ten thousand years, and you still haven't yeah. watched it. I know you haven't, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but anyway, so Ant Man really started to grow on me, and they started appearing more in video games. Um, and he's a really cool character and he has so much history and you know what? I was super stoked, uh, when I found out at Comic-Con that they announced that Peyton Reed was going to get it. Now, Peyton Reed, uh, this director is actually pretty cool. This guy is pretty awesome. Um, I believe at the time he just came off of Yes Man and his directing claim to fame. Get this. Are you ready for this? I hope so was bring it on <laughs> oh bring it on you know what's, yeah. what's so weird about bring it on is that i feel like everybody on planet earth has seen bring it on even though i don't know very many people who would say that that's their kind of movie we've all seen bring it on i don't know how that happened you know what honestly i'll tell you why it happened elijah Dushu was in it <laughs> We You're absolutely right. Eliza Dushku um, had a cheerleading outfit. You just cracked the case, my friend. That's yeah. the reason why we all. <laughs> I mean, Kristen Dunst is great, but Eliza, man. Um, and I, so, first of all, Isabella, for those of you who don't know, my fiance, you know, we we had a watch party. We watched Bring It On, you know, and story wise, it's a, it's a solid story. It's cheesy as hell, but it's a solid story. Uh, but okay, here's the thing about Peyton Reed, though, and why this is amazing. So first of all, you have to respect Kevin Feige and what he's doing for Marvel. You you, you have to. You, you, this guy loves Marvel Comics as much as any fan does, if not more. And he's doing amazing things for Marvel. So get this, okay? Mm-hmm. Peyton Reed originally was going to direct Fantastic Four, the Fox one. The first Fox Fantastic Four Peyton Reed was set up to direct it. Wow. Yeah, you believe that? Holy crap. Crazy. And this was when Kevin Feige, um, you know, was producing or like getting producing credits for being a production assistant and stuff on movies like um, uh, Fantastic Four and X-Men. And this is a guy who's like, you know, production assistant wise, you know, you're not quite top of the line yet. You're not, you're not quite bottom of the barrel, but you're not really making any, you know, big decisions here. Um, but so Peyton Reed made a pitch uh, to Fox and they, they had a year of development into it that he was going to direct Fantastic Four. And I have a quote here about how he was going to do it. Ooh, quotes. Yep. 
He said, I developed it for about a year and we went through some different uh, permutations, some different writers. But yes, one of the big ideas for Fantastic Four was set in a 60s thing that had at the time was structurally going to be basically like the Beatles 1964 comedy musical Hard Day's Night, where we were not going to even deal with the origin story. Wow. Yep. Yep. And so, and then he's like, it, it was going to be like you're in downtown Manhattan and they're there. Uh, it was a pretty exciting idea at the time. And it, this was around 2002, 2003, earlier on, way pre-MCU. And it felt like Fox was not going to make it. And obviously they didn't because they replaced him. Um, and that was, uh, that, was, that was then. And then he went on to direct Yes Man with Jim Carrey. Who's laughing now, Fox? There was a there was a quote or sorry there was like a a snippet I was I'm still trying to find to this date but he had he had a um, a preconceived idea of casting for the for the Fantastic Four uh, but I can't find it anywhere I but I remember reading it and it was like crazy concepts like Brad Pitt was going to be like Human Torch or something like that I can't remember I hope Danny but... DeVito was Reed Richards <laughs> I mean you know anything's possible right but. <laughs> So we're all going to go up into space and come back with powers. <laughs> oh man. I, you know, again, I don't know. I don't know who he was going to cast, but, um, man, uh, I'm trying to find it. I can't find it anywhere guys, but I, I remember it being pretty, pretty epic who he had in mind for, for his fantastic four. It's now, this the was last movie we shall never see. True. Now, keep in mind, though, this is this is the Fantastic Four he wanted in terms of, you know, the executive producers and casting directors. He may not have got it anyway. So wanted to point that out. Ant-Man has a lot of history and this movie has a lot of history with in terms of like the major players that were building it. And what's crazy is, is that even Paul Rudd was a writer accredited as a writer in this movie. That makes sense. He's uh, he's a clever guy. He's very witty. He's really good at coming up with dialogue on his feet. I wouldn't be surprised if in a bunch of scenes, you know, just on the day, he's like, hey, you know, in the script we have that they talk about this, but can we change the scene so we talk about this and then we'll get to that other piece of dialogue later? Just like his, that's kind of how he works. I have stated in the past on this show that I have a man crush on Paul Rudd and I stand by that man crush 1,000%. Uh, in fact, oh, since, yeah. since this is an Infinity Rewatch, I should change that to 3,000%. <laughs> Mr. Rudd, if you're listening, I love you 3,000. Oh, I hope he is. I hope he is. Um, that being said, okay, let's kick into it. I just want to wrap up by saying Comic-Con happened. Um, and at Comic-Con, literally Peyton Reed had his cast and he was set as to direct. And that's all they knew. They had the, they had the bare minimum story. And they were just getting to film, so people knew that um, that Hank Pym was going to be played uh, played by. Oh my God! Why is this slipping on my day? It rhymes with Michael Schmuggles. <laughs> Michael Douglas, thank you. <laughs> so we got we found out literally at Comic Con that Michael Douglas, who just found out as well, he's been cast as Hank Pym, uh, a much older Hank Pym, uh, and then. Um, uh, Paul Rudd was uh, Scott Lang and then Darren Cross, which is like such a low level villain enforcer type. 
Um, quite surprised that he was going to play a role in the whole thing. And and they said that he was going to play Darren Cross slash Yellow Jacket, uh, which comic book fans out there would be like, oh my God, what, how? That doesn't make any sense. And then um, you find, yeah, so they, they did a good job working that into the story for sure. And uh, we also learned that Evangeline Lilly, she is, uh, she is playing Hope Van Dyne. So we learned that we're getting Hank Pym. We learned that we're not getting... Uh, Janet Van Dyne, who is like such a central character of the Avengers. Uh, we're getting Darren Cross, who is such a low-level enforcer, which in past Marvel formulas works, right? We had uh, yeah. Iron Ironmonger and Iron Man, who is, again, another low-level enforcer uh, with Obadiah Stained. And uh, he, uh, again, if you have a right villain, it creates such a great story. And so there you go. You had the cast, Comic-Con, and everyone's asking him all these questions. They're like, guys, we just found out we've been cast. Like we don't know anything. So we know we saw the test footage. It looked great. And then we get the first trailer and then the movie's awesome from there. So we get, you know, Hank Pym being this like kind of the kind of crazy guy in a basement with a lot of computers, you know, seeing the world from his view. And uh, we get this kind of uh, street hero, Scott Lang. And I think it was perfect. It was a perfect idea because Hank Pym has a lot of, history in the comics and he's such a central character but i think it was smart to just be have him still be a mentor as character but bring in a very contemporary ant-man with scott lang who's been a member of fantastic four uh along with she hulk which by the way at the time of this podcast um she hulk has been announced as cast which is awesome but yeah scott lang modern choice love it here we go ant-man and the scott lang thing is interesting because just earlier, I said how, oh, I've heard about lots of Marvel characters. I'm about to make myself sound like a dumb old liar because in my head, I always knew Hank Pym was Ant-Man. I had actually never heard of Scott Lang. Um, so when this movie was coming out and they were announcing the cast, and I remember they're like, Paul Rudd's going to be Ant-Man. And I'm like, cool. And then I saw his name was Scott Lang. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And then I did a little bit of research and I figured out what was what. But I thought it was kind of cool because I know, Ryan, you are a big advocate on this show uh specifically for the legacy of the marvel heroes yes and with with the ant-man movie i thought it was really neat because this is the first time uh i'm sure that this happens a lot more in the marvel comics that i don't know about but you know i'm a big dc fan i really love dc and dc does a lot of stuff with legacy like there's there's uh you know you get your like your your um, wildcat and they have different age, like golden age wildcat and silver age wildcat. Yeah. You have like the, the golden age, Adam, uh, the flash. There's so many different flashes. There's so many different green lanterns, but this is one of the only times I can think of in Marvel where you have two, two people who are the same hero uh, operating at once together. This is a much rarer thing, I think in Marvel comics. And I thought that was really neat to see that. And when I found out, you know that casting and i'm like okay he's the scott lang guy and then i looked it up and i saw oh hank pym's in the movie too i was like wicked we are getting two ant-men this movie should be called ant-men uh and i like <laughs> that, that really uh changed my perspective and i was like that's that's another thing that superhero movies really that i can think of have never done before and i'm talking even before mcu anybody like i don't think anybody has done that before 
You know what? In terms of MCU, nobody has done that before. Um, there are characters in Marvel that are legacy characters. There's like, you know, there's var- various iterations of Wasp, mm-hmm. which we do even see in this movie because we are, well, we get a mention of it in this movie. And then in the sequel, we get we get more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, you know, it's funny, but uh, Ant-Man was the first to kind of build up a legacy character in the MCU. That's true. And I, the closest I think we've ever gotten in cinema is that god-awful choice they made in the first Ghost Rider movie where they're like, all right, Sam Elliott's oh. going to be the previous Ghost Rider. And I'm like, awesome, two Ghost Riders. And then he's just like, I could only change once and I changed so we could ride across the desert. I'm not actually going <laughs> to help you fight. So peace. Oh, man. Oh, brutal. Like you talk about how we always mention how there's Marvel moments in the MCU where it's like stuff fans want to see. It's like back then they were doing the opposite. They're like, what do you think would piss people off the most? Let's do that. <laughs> hey, you want to give Gambit a brown coat? No, let's make yeah. it black. Let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. Let's let's hit Wolverine with the silver bullet and he'll forget everything. <laughs> Let's hope that Marvel. Let's hope that Fox hits us with that silver bullet. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah no, it's very true though. I'm so glad you point that out, and and you know, and it's such a great way to do it. And again, this is this is what I'm talking about with if you're going to do a Marvel movie and you're going to change something, or you're going to uh, you're going. Sorry, uh, if you guys hear any screaming in the background. Isabel is watching a terrifying movie, and uh, so she gets really into it. And starts oh, I thought that was your cell phone. I I should make it. She has a very melodious scream. I literally just heard music. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's uh, well, yeah, yeah. There you go. So anyway, so that being said, um, I wanted, I really want to harp in on this here because, and in a positive way, because here's the thing: if you're gonna change something in Marvel, if you're gonna, if you're gonna change something like the Mandarin, for example, that's a critical character. And uh-huh. if you're gonna change a critical character, you better know what you're gonna do. Like you better do something that's gonna be super cool and no one's gonna expect. And with Mandarin, they did the opposite. They obviously did something that they they totally butchered the character. They started totally on the right foot, and it was awesome to watch Ben King- Kingsley in a serious tone. But they flipped the script, and then they're like, "Oh, that's not actually the real Mandarin. It's this guy." And it, it totally. If he's a joke character, then it makes the whole villain a joke, which we said in our last when, when we said in our Iron Man three podcast. Um, so with Ant Man, smart move. You make him older. Yeah, you you, you 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 make him older, and you give him a scene that explains why he's been gone for as long as he has. Yeah. So the movie opens up with this beautiful look at the Triskelion being built in the eighties, which is awesome because already we're getting an established Marvel cinematic universe being that, Oh yeah. You know, winter soldier, they had this giant building. Where has it been? Well, in the eighties they were building it. And, you know, we had, um, we had, uh, agent Carter, you know, lead that with, you know, uh, Howard Stark and here we go. And then you see Hank Pym, young Hank Pym. And I love when Disney does this technology because you get the same actor, um, although I do like I do like situations where they they do cast a younger actor that can look somewhat like the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but either yeah. way, either way, did a great job. Loved it. Uh, obviously, the test in Tron when they did younger versions worked, so they might as well do it again. Um, and uh, so so yeah, so he comes in, and then uh, and then they said he's supposed to be in Moscow. And I love how they turned Ant-Man into this Cold War soldier when he knows he's a scientist. He doesn't want to be a soldier. He's a scientist. And yet they use his tech like he's a soldier. 
Um, and which is great because if you know your uh, Hank Pym history, Hank Pym actually was a pacifist and he has such strong moral beliefs as a pacifist. He doesn't like violence. He hates it. He hates it. And then the Avengers push him too far where he has a mental breakdown and then he creates a multiple personality disorder and becomes Yellow Jacket, who is the opposite of a pa- uh, of a, a pacifist. Holy and he's shit. like super aggressive to a point where in the comics they did something super crazy where he they actually showed domestic abuse and he would he would actually there was a panel where he he actually hit uh, Janet Van Dyne. So like he loses his mind. Yes. Yeah. Those I remember. I remember uh, seeing this stuff like in Wizard Magazine where they talk about mm-hmm. when Hank Pym gets out of control. Um, and there was even something, I don't know if you've seen it, where it was uh, a very risque Ant-Man and mm-hmm. Wasp scene. Yep. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, I do. <laughs> um, for for those who don't know what the scene is, uh, I only saw one image of it. So maybe I'm taking it completely out of context, but uh, the image I saw was um, the Wasp. And I don't know if it was Hope or Janet, because this is an old Marvel comic, so it could have been either or. No, it's, uh, it's definitely Janet, because Hope's Janet. the kid. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true yeah. um, and she's lying in, in a bed. And yep. uh, from under the covers comes Hank Pym in his Ant-Man suit, and he is small. And he is also very, very wet. And the speech bubble above his head just says he's talking to his wife and he says, okay, your turn. Uh, I mean, you got to give him points for creativity. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't have said it better. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it. Marvel got weird with Ant-Man at times because Ant-Man has been around for, you know, through the, the seventies and all that stuff. So he's definitely been in the golden age of comics where they didn't have the, uh, the comic book authority to censor him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, but he, but again, going back to the, the serious history here of, uh, of, of Hank Pym. So his character has had quite, you know, quite the issues. And I love how they addressed it in this movie. They made a lot of subtle nods and, and Peyton Reed admitted he's a big comic book fan. So it was, you know, this is a good example of like when someone's a fan and they know what to do, this is what's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, you could see his like level of aggression with this guy he walks up to and he's like, oh, if only you protected Janet with such ferocity and he just slams his head into the ground and you see that he, he snaps, right? He just like snaps and put him in, puts him into the table. That guy is actually named Mitch Carson and Mitch Carson brings me to my first little comic book nod. Um, he is actually a comic book character who is actually known to be a Hydra agent. So if once you oh. knew his name, you knew he was Hydra from the get-go. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's literally one of my notes. One of my notes was, is that guy a character? Because mm-hmm. I really hate him. I feel like he's he's more than just a dude they made up for the movie. So, so here's, and again, this goes to the longstanding history of Ant-Man here. Uh, no, we are recording right now. Yes. No, 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 we're not recording that. No, 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 no. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. Um, so, so, hey, so here's the thing about Mitch Carson. Yes, he's a real character and he is a, uh, yes, he's a real character. He was a Hydra agent. So already, if you know, already, if you know, in the, <laughs> 
already if you know his name you know that he is a hydra agent so you kind of got that little nod already without the movie having to explain it to you too much um now the interesting thing is he actually that character had a uh that character was introduced and a part of the storyline of the uh of the Ant-Man comic book run that was Eric O'Grady as Ant-Man. There's been a lot of Ant-Man. So oh, wow. There's been a few of them. Eric O'Grady, Eric O'Grady was a shield agent who was a really terrible dude. Like this guy lies, cheats to a point where he steals the Ant-Man suit. And Ooh. he goes to fight, he actually goes to fight Mitch Carson and he ends up disfiguring his face. So in in the movie, Hank Pym later runs into him when he goes back to uh, Pym Tech and he goes, how's your face? And oh. not only from the table slamming, but that's also a reference to the comic. Very cool. I like that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, the the grayness of this character, they really, like they didn't pull punches on that. And I like it. You know, the first time we see Scott Lang, he's in prison. Uh, and the first time we see Hank Pym, he is punching a dude in the face. Like, the, the, this is not Captain America. They make that very clear. This is not a, as Dr. Erskine would say, a good man. Uh, <laughs> this is a man who's got uh, his issues. Even though we know at, at deep down, you know, he is a good guy and he loves his daughter and he just wants what's best for everybody. Uh, this whole, you know, he is sort of a wild card. He, he's he's a roguish kind of character uh, and the idea of him kind of coming into the fray now when we've already met this big group of heroes and big group of villains to have somebody like him come in, uh, it, it's a nice little change of pace. You know, it's like a palate cleanse almost, especially that it comes right on the heels of an Avengers film. Yeah, ex- exactly, man. And it's and look, at, like this is the first scene, people. This is the first scene and you're already getting a ton of comic book knowledge already from that. You're right? welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, and then and then we get the introduction of Scott Lang in prison, which is a fun scene. And I, I think what Paul Rudd really brought to the table, which is where Marvel does thrive, is the mild mannered version of the hero, right? Like the, yeah. the, the everyday the everyday person of the character. Uh, and they're all cheering and what have you. And also, I want to point out with that scene with Howard Stark, and he's like, yo, I'm quitting. And I love that the fact that they brought in the original Howard Stark, um, the older one, which is great because they're still saying like, hey, yes, he is the older Howard Stark. And then, you know, we have uh, Dominic Cooper as the younger one. And I actually Uh, had a question about Howard Stark in this scene, because that actor, John Slattery, uh, who plays old Howard Stark, has bright, brilliant, beautiful blue eyes. And in that scene, his eyes were very brown and not only that they looked like robert downey jr's eyes and i was like is there some kind of cg trickery going on here <laughs> or am i just seeing what i want to see because it looked like they did something to his eyes to make it look more like he's related to to tony stark um that's a good question i don't know maybe i guess so <laughs> that's i I actually don't know the answer to that. That's a good observation. Yeah, and I, th- I think they did because I, I am positive he has blue eyes in real life and I'm positive they were brown in this scene. And I'm usually bad at seeing people's eye color, but this time I can put safe bets on that. So now I'm curious of like looking back to like Iron Man 2 and seeing him and like, did they keep his eyes blue or was this something that's been consistent all throughout? I don't know. That's a That's a great question. Huh. 
Somebody find out and tell us. John Slattery, yeah. let us know. Put what, it, what do they do to your eyes? John Slattery, put it in the comments. Let us know. Um, so, so already we got Howard Stark. We got the scene set up, and you know, and again, they've already established a great comic book reference that people are after his tech, and it's true. In the comics, a lot of people are after Hank Pym's tech, his shrinking tech, so uh, he can, you know, people can make uh, big dollar dues off of it. Uh, and so, um, so we got all that together in that one scene, and then, and it's interesting too because it makes you think: what happened to Janet? And, uh, and, and cause she's such a strong character in the comics and such a centered character, they don't have her. So anyway, we get to Scott, he gets out of prison. Uh, we get, uh, I think his name's Mike Pence's character. Mike Pence, is it? Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States. Sorry. Oh my God. I am, <laughs> my brain is all over the place. Michael Pena. Michael Pena. Thank yeah. you. Oh, I, I'm going to leave you to all the actor references from now on. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Um, so Okay, so yeah, we get that, Michael Pena, and it's it's a fun look at it. And so, you know, he talks about how getting a job is hard for him. And so in the comics, what's interesting is that Ant-Man works at Greyburn College and Scott Lang gets a job as a janitor at the college because because um, he was an ex-con. So he was a good thief. He would crack crazy locks and everything. And, uh, and Darren Cross would hire him to do thievery and bad things. Ooh, you don't want to be doing that, kids. And he ended up succumbing to that. He ended up trying, he ended up becoming a good thief and getting a reputation as a good thief because he also needed money to pay for his daughter's uh, heart condition. She has a very rare heart condition and a doctor is willing to you know, help help him if he could afford it. Um, so that's why he went to thievery, uh, to, uh, help pay for, uh, for Cassie's heart condition. Yeah, so he's basically Sandman from Spider-Man three, uh, just a lot more noble and less gritty. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I, there you uh... <laughs> Ooh. Ouch. Uh, so there you go. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like the comic book setup. Now, I like what they did with this Scott Lang, and they they introduced Cassie, who who so you guys just so you know down the road becomes a version of Ant Man called Stature. Oh, and, cool! Yeah, uh, so she's a comic book character as well, um, and I like how they do it. Again, it's it's a great job, and uh, he gets out, and you know, um, he tries to get a job at Baskin Robbins. Don't we all though? And we all try to get a job at Baskin Robbins, but they always find out. They always find out, man. Um, and he's this. I don't, you know, I don't quite get the skit, but I imagine people come. I think it's just the joke that people do come into Baskin Robbins asking for like hot dogs and stuff. Uh, well, I'm still. I, I know that's like been 25 years now or something like that, but I am still shocked that you can get a burger at Dairy Queen. I've never done that. I've yep. never even really gotten ice cream from Dairy Queen. I don't think I've ever really done that. Um, I've been to Dairy Queen maybe twice in my whole life, but I'm still shocked that they have hot food. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's hot eats, bro. Hot, hot eats, eats, cool treats. Hot yeah. eats, cool treats. We treat you right. Yeah. Do you remember when they used to have Dennis the Menace toys there all the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's when they really tried to be like McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Good times. 
Yeah, but uh, so I, I guess that's the skit. I guess that's the commentary. They're making commentary on Dairy Queen. Um, but he's wearing on his name tag Jack, which is uh, stands for Jack Kirby. Uh, oh, I didn't catch that at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and then, so obviously it doesn't work out for him. Um, and, uh, and then he goes back. So he goes to where they live and they goes to that, uh, I guess that hotel that he lives in. It's called the Milgram hotel. So, uh, so after he loses his job, he returns to the apartment, um, which is shared by this gang that he's (laughs) with a weird cast of characters. Um, and the hotel, uh, is actually a clear nod to the comic books, um, it's a uh, to the writer, artist, and anchor and editor Al Milgram, uh, who lent his talents on a number of Marvel titles uh, before taking over as publisher, uh, including the West Coast Avengers. Ooh, that's very so. What that ho- that uh, the the hotel's last name is is his last name? Is that how it was? Uh, yeah, the, the, it's called the Milgram hotel, which is where Scott's staying. And Uh it is, it's the last name of a famous uh, artist, writer, inker, and, uh, editor who, uh, published, who was famous for publishing the West coast Avengers. That's a neat, what a deep cut too. Like that's, those are some Marvel fans making making these choices. Could you imagine if you were that writer? (laughs) Oh my God. Oh man. I spent like, way too much of my time imagining if I was blank writer. <laughs> I spent way too much time doing that. But like, but like, think about it this way: like, you're just sitting there and you're like, "That's me. That's my name. I was, I was the guy." And then, like, you point to the person beside you, like, I, "That's my name. That's my name on that hotel. I'm the, I'm the guy who wrote that comic." And it's like, "Yeah, sure, buddy. Sure. Okay, the one time." <laughs> but that's <laughs> no. But I honestly, I know Marvel's done that numerous times, and that's not the first time I'm going to be mentioning that. But um, but I wanted to point that out because Marvel's done that a few times where they nod to something. Now, let's get to the scene where they introduce Pym Tech, which is huge. This is definitely a nod to more of the Ultimate Comics, where uh, where uh, Hank Pym has his own kind of company, and his company doesn't qu- it doesn't quite hit success um, because, like in Ultimate Comics, everyone's trying, and even in the regular the before the Ultimate Comics. Everyone's trying to figure out how to make Captain America again. Hank Pym takes a try on it. Doesn't work out. Um, or no, he doesn't even get to work on it because they ended up hiring uh, Bruce Banner, who ends up turning into the Hulk for his attempt, so, mm-hmm. uh, which they do in the movie. So, that, so he gets kind of bitter about that. But uh, Hank Pym, obviously doing well. Uh, Darren Cross is working there. And we're also introduced to Hope Van Dyne. So now we know... Uh, again, not only that Evangeline Lily Comic Con was playing Hope and Dine, but now we're seeing Hope and Dine as the character. She looks exactly like her mom, Janet, uh, with the hair, exactly like uh, the way uh, uh, Wasp would normally have it, which was awesome. Yeah, and there's not many people in the world who can pull off that haircut, but she does. Yeah, it's, it's she pulls it off, and and I love her. I love her character, like this strong businesswoman, just like just owning the scenes and like giving her dad like just total, uh, you know, cold, total cold shoulder. Um, so I love this scene because we get a tour now. Uh, Peyton Reed, I think he also worked on Zoolander, uh, and apparently, apparently, there's a shot where you actually see 
uh, the place for kids who can't read good in the little diorama that they have on oh one of the main tables. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I tried to see it. I don't see it, but apparently it's there. People have made reference to it. Anyway, um, I think it's in the action sequence though. It's not in the first introduction sequence, but I want to point that out before I forget. Uh, so Darren Cross obviously showing that he's taking over. He's essentially robbing Hank Pym of uh, of you know Pym Tech, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he mentions uh, you know this this whole Ant Man thing. It's a myth, and I love this. This is how you respect a legacy, people. He literally talks about the classified footage of Ant Man and shows the, shows the Cold War, um, shows the Cold War footage, which I think is fantastic. Is just a great way to show where Hank Pym has been, where Ant Man's been this whole time. Um, and he talks about that it's the Tales to Astonish, which is the comic book run that Ant Man was introduced in. Yes, yeah, he he name drops Tales to Astonish, and I thought that was a really cute little moment. Um, but the yeah, the whole idea of him showing off that blurry imagery, uh, it really sells this cool thing that again I think is a first in the MCU. Uh, I can't think of it being done before where the superhero is so secretive that nobody believes he actually exists. And I think what sells that for me the most that I just find this really small moment, but it's so cool. And it really just does a great job of showing that concept is Mm -hmm. um, Hank visiting Scott in jail and the security cameras just covered by ants. And I'm like, that's wicked. Like that makes him so mysterious. Who is this old man and what is he up to? Yeah. And it's so good. It's, I think it's so brilliant and I love that. And it also helps patch the Marvel kind of timeline, you know, because now we know World War II, they tried to get Captain America going and everything. Obviously, had a small era of peace. And then the Cold War times, they actually had Hank Pym, you know, dealing, doing his thing. And, and I love that because now we have roughly a 30-year, you know, lineup of, of content to build from from there, right? So, yeah. oh, it's so cool. So good. Uh, and yeah, and I love that they make they kind of treat Hantman as this kind of like just this old guy spinning these wise tales, and I, I love it. Um, and Darren Cross, I love the kind of modernization of this character. He's this guy just trying to get this idea off the ground so he could be this like super rich mongrel of money, kind of just another Obadiah stained, but like, um, but it's done in a fun way. And then they introduce the Yellow Jacket sequence, which is really fun. Uh, we get to see Mitch Carson again. And, uh, and so the, the yellow jacket sequence is pretty cool. And again, I, at the time I kind of like, okay, you know, I'll take it. I would have loved to have seen Ant-Man kind of, you know, do the, do the multiple personality thing, but I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, let's make yellow jacket, just this like henchman kind of type and, and based on Pym tech and all this stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. So pretty neat stuff. Love that scene. Uh, and it's, a, and it's a great way to set up Ant-Man without actually introducing Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, setting him up through just like his legacy uh, prompts these villains to want to do what they're doing. And I'm mm-hmm. glad you bring up Cross and I'm also glad you brought up Obadiah Stane there because uh, I have a couple notes and questions about Cross. Um, the First of all, that guy that he kills, um, I can't remember, Frank, I think. Yeah, he kills a man named Frank who doesn't want to have anything to do with his Yellow Jacket program. Before he kills him, uh, when he says like, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way, Frank, he puts his hand on Frank's shoulder 
which is a very Obadiah thing to do. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote in my notes, when a Marvel villain puts their hand on your shoulder, you're effed. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's not going to end well for you. Um, now, with the, and by the way, when he shrinks Frank and he just like mops up his gooey remains with a paper towel, um, I think that might be the most violent thing the MCU has ever done. Like that is, that's a level of gruesomeness. They're like, yeah, sure. Captain America's running through World War II shooting people, but this is a whole other level of gruesome death. Uh, and just like the flippancy with which he wipes him up and then flushes him down the toilet. Ugh, like that still, it's that so still funny. makes me cringe when I watch it. But with Darren Cross and with Yellow Jacket, uh, my question, you actually already answered um, half of my question here earlier in the episode, because I had the question for you being, is he Ant-Man's arch enemy? Is he the Green Goblin to his Spider-Man? And you said he's he's typically not. He's a low-level guy. And I'm glad you said that because I feel like we need more shrinking villains for Ant-Man to fight because the idea of the of somebody having the same powers as him being a villain, I think is fantastic. And I feel like we didn't see enough of Yellow Jacket in this movie doing that. Uh, like it, it didn't quench my thirst for some shrink on shrink action. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's, again, there are Marvel villains out there that are like an off gimmick of like the, the original hero Ant-Man's villains or arch villains, if you will, they're, they're, they're very weird. They're so bizarre. Um, it was like the main one. Yeah, Whirlwind is one of them. Um, he's a mutant, which is kind of cool. Um, the main man, that's a good, that's a good question. Who is Ant Man? Is Whirlwind the, the big green guy? I think he, he's a, he's <laughs> he's a very funny looking guy. Um, he basically has like a cone green helmet with little wings. That yes, stick out. yeah, that guy. I think he was like the first boss in the SNES Captain America and the Avengers game too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> he's a weird character uh-huh. um but like to be fair though like ant-man's villains kind of tie in with the avengers villains so like fing fang foom uh mandarin whiplash you know whirlwind uh death knight stuff like that those are like villains that ant-man would fight right um but like a direct villain that's a oh man i'm gonna have to really think on that um because Yellow Jacket was the only one, even before this movie, that I could have named. I didn't know Ghost. I didn't know about her. Uh, mm. I knew about Yellow Jacket, so I figured because he was the only one I knew, I I assumed he was his main bad guy. I assumed he was, you know, the Joker to his Batman kind of thing. But if he's not, like, I, I'm just curious, like, who else is out there in the Marvel Universe that they could possibly throw in for Ant-Man 3 that might, you know, scratch that itch for me? Because I want to see more shrinking fighting yeah well i mean there is like there's a comic book there was a comic book but it's again it's another spin-off of ant-man which is the black ant is like this one um taskmaster is actually a is a um taskmaster is a uh is a villain of ant-man um but again it's it's because like all like because he's an avenger most of the villains kind of come through him yeah darren cross does have a cousin named crossfire who's kind of like a uh it's kind of like a dead shot slash um oh my god, why didn't I think of it? Oh, I'm so dumb. Oh wow. Okay, I'll explain who his arch villain is in one second. Um Crossfire is kind of like a cross between uh yeah, cross. Uh, oh, oh, oh. He's, he's a cross between uh Deadshot and um 
Oh my God. I'm totally, my brother's going to kill me. Uh, Daredevil's villain. Uh, Bullseye. There you go. Thank you. Bullseye. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a villain like that. He's a, he's a villain like that, but, but Ant-Man's original arch villain is Ulysses Claw. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like he's, uh, his rogues gallery is just kind of a mishmash of everybody's rogues gallery then. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to be technical, but again, it's an Avengers villain. But if you want to be technical, Ultron's is like is is uh, is 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 his arch enemy, uh, right? Because he built, Hank, yeah, because he built them based on his, by basing on uh, mapping the human mind, and that was his human mind, which also shows how unstable he is as a thinker. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, uh, so yeah, those are his two kind of main ones. Is um, is Ulysses Claw and Ultron. The random screaming is making my day. What is she watching? Uh, so as you guys know, at the time of this poor, uh, podcast, uh, we are actually watching this in October. And so Isabella is watching horror movies because she loves being scared. And I'm not talking like fun horror movies. I'm talking like ones that like warp my dreams into nightmares. So like yeah. like conjurings and stuff like that uh, something like that man something that's yeah. gonna make me need to watch a disney movie at the end of the night like, yeah i can't get through those either now if you want to talk halloween three season of the witch i <laughs> i could talk for days oh man halloween yeah three season of the witch but i apologize for that distraction um but uh do yeah. not apologize it is really entertaining <laughs> it's not oh, a distraction at all yeah, we'll see how many screams we get. Actually, you guys, uh, you guys listen to podcasts. You guys let us know how many screams you hear on this, and then uh, yeah, count them, count them, or make a fun game out of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a shot every time she screams. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, anyway, so that's the that's the we have the introduction of Darren Cross, um, and uh, also. Yeah, so we were talking about villains. So yeah, he's like kind of like the shrinking villain thing. Yeah, there's not many of them. Um, but yeah, Ultron is definitely the big one, and then Ulysses Claw is the other one. But Ulysses Claw is also a villain of Black Panther. But um, but the 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 one he fights the most is Ant Man. So that's the that's the kind of villains that Ant Man's faces. So it's very hard to do uh, villains. But Ant Man's kind of like Spider Man in the sense he he deals with like either weird scientists that you know are taking their idea too far or like bank robbers with weird gimmicks like rhino and Zen. right yeah um i'm looking forward to seeing what they do with ant-man 3 uh and the word on the street right now is there the king the conqueror is showing up uh jonathan majors uh i don't know if you've been watching there's an hbo show that's going on right now I'm doing reviews for it on my channel, the Andrew. Oh, Fink I've been watching channel. it. I've been uh, watching that. Lovecraft Country. You've been watching it. I've been watching your YouTube and your and the show. And Ooh, it's such thanks. a great, great, uh, such a great show, and uh, you do you do a great job reviewing it. I will say. Oh, um, thanks, man. Then no worries. And uh, yeah, Jonathan Majors, man. I gotta say that show really impressed me, man. It's so so clever. It's such a clever idea but it's so well executed and it's so imaginative and that's horror done right. In my opinion, it is. Uh, it's coming out at the perfect time too. Um, and when I, when they made that announcement, not even an announcement, it's still just a rumor, but when they said, Oh, he might be playing King. Then I couldn't get out of my head. And every time I look at his face, I picture him blue and I'm like, Oh my God, that works. Yeah. He's, oh, he's got uh, like, he's got a very powerful jaw 
uh, very strong chiseled features. And mm. it, it works because Kang looks like he's made out of plastic. Yeah. So you need to have like a really strong chiseled, almost Ken doll kind of look to your face. And Jonathan Majors has that. That guy's a powerhouse looking dude. He's a beautiful man. Oh, beautiful. So I, I can see it happening a hundred percent. And again, if you, if for those of you Marvel fans out there that are listening to this, uh, if you're looking for a great media uh, representation of Kang the Conqueror, uh, look no further than the cartoon Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Which I've seen nine times, uh, but I'm boycotting it because uh, their depiction of Annihilus is not Christine Everhart, which is false. <laughs> it's fake news. We all know it's really Oh, uh, God, this Christine Everhart thing will never be put to rest. No, it won't because uh, Marvel's going to make it real. It's going to be immortalized. <laughs> uh, but if you are looking for good media representation of Kang the Conqueror, then look no further than Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. He is actually a villain in that, and they do an incredible job. Um, they do just an incredible job, voice actor and the look and feel. Uh, so, yes, he's actually like the whole idea of Kang is like he lives so far in the future um, that, like, essentially his technology is built off of our technology. Like it's just, just this so far ahead that you can't make that connection. Right. Um, Pan Black Panther says it best when he says, um, look at this technology. It's almost as if it were like Egyptian kind of thing. So mm. kind of that nod there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's anyways, he's a very interesting character. Um, but yeah, Kang, uh, man, if that's going to be the next villain for him, man, I'm very curious as to what and how they're going to do it. But it makes sense because, uh, because again, what the, I think what the quantum realm is going to be down the road is uh, is kind of like a time tunnel, right? So, which is what Endgame was kind of alluding to. Uh, but anyway, that's going to be a whole nother ball game, my friend. Let me tell you. But yeah. Let's bring it back to the first Ant Man here as we're still uh, trucking along. So we have Darren Cross introduced as the villain again, kind of this henchman who's just trying to make a lot of money through war racketeering and all that wonderful stuff. Um, and then we get, uh, you know, uh, you get Scott Lang loses his job and then uh, he's trying to see Cassie. And I love the bunny thing. That was really cute with the birthday party. Yeah. And he just can't take it. His his her his wife's new boyfriend is a cop, and I love the actor who plays him. He's a great guy. Yeah, this whole movie's full of like great actors stuck into these little supporting roles. They're just like they filled out the whole supporting cast with mm -hmm. so many great people. Like his his ex wife is uh, Judy Greer, yep. who I feel like she is the queen of playing ex wives. Uh, she played almost the exact same role in Jurassic World. Uh, like uh, she, she's just she plays that role. I swear to God, I've seen her play that same role like five other times. Uh, she also did a kick-ass job in the legacy sequel to Halloween that came out back in 2018. She's Laurie Strode's daughter. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. she's she's awesome, man. I, I can never get enough of her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. I, I did see that movie. I was wondering if I saw it actually, but no, I did see that movie. Um. But yeah. And uh. And yeah, she has played. I think the uh the wife of Scott Lang, which is pretty hilarious. Uh. Or sorry, the the uh, Paul Rudd. She has played a wife of Paul Rudd's character in the past. Um, oh wow. I want to say knocked up was it? Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. 
Um, I know they have. I know they have it, and I I did watch it with. Um, I did watch it with Isabella. I can't remember what it was called though. But she's they are they are in not only knocked up, but they are in another movie together, and it's about their relationship and everything. Oh, anyway, I, I think you're thinking of somebody else. You're thinking of um, of Leslie Mann from like This Is Forty. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. It's not. No, I know they. I know Paul Rudd and that actress have played a car- played a couple together. I know they have. Oh, I want to know now. <sighs> Telling wow. you, they have done it. I just can't remember. Anyway, so yeah, so this is what I love. Then we kick off into the heist scene, and I love the heist scenes. That movie is the whole the whole hook of the movie is it's a heist. Yeah, and it's it's so clever done, and I love. How Michael Pena was like, like I love how he does his heist monologue. It's so good. <laughs> the voiceover thing is priceless, and, uh, and <laughs> uh, so he talks about like he he hears something from someone's you know wife at a friend's baseball game, and it's like this whole thing. Um, and he, and then the whole high sequence is so much fun, but we do get to see Scott Lang in action where he actually does use his abilities as an electric engineer. And he like finds clever ways to like break into this house. And, and, and I think it was pretty clever because in the comic book run, when they worked at the college, the safe that Hank Pym used after his suit was stolen once <laughs> he puts it in a super secure safe uh, that has like super biometric security and everything and Lang cracks it and steals the animated suit. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so he, we get to see him in action. I absolutely love that sequence. It's fun. Uh, and like we get, we get him with these like getaway driver guy, the hacker guy, like <laughs> such weird characters. But I love when he breaks to the vault and he finds the suit. And it's so cool. I love the way the suit looks. Oh, he's so, like, his ingenuity when he's robbing that safe. Like, he single-handedly robbed that. He did not need his crew yeah. for, that, for that heist. Later on, sure, when they're robbing uh, uh, Cross Labs there. But for robbing Hank Pym's house, he did not need that crew. He was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he could have could have done it on a motorcycle. He literally could have just drove up, hopped in, hopped over the fence in the whole nine yards. And and again, I love the humor they use in the in the movie. It's it's a really, really good pacing. And I love that like uh they talk about the jewel, the guy, the Titanic moment. <laughs> yeah. Um and anyway, so he gets the suit, comes back, and they're disappointed. It was a bust. It's not what they thought it was. And he tries on the suit for the first time. The suit looks really cool, really modern, really mechanical. Um, and uh, and I love how Hank Pym is this guy who has like this secret lab, and all he does is just let his aunts do all the work for him, and like just watches cameras and puts the information together. Yeah, he's um, a weirdo, and I love how much of a weirdo they made him. Like, if you had lived as long as this guy doing what he did. Yep. In in the shadows, because he couldn't let people know what was going on, you would become just as eccentric as he is. And I, I'm glad they made him like that. I'm glad he's not like a stable, normal human being, because I don't think that would have felt right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I love it, because once he puts on the suit, Hank Pym can talk to him and kind of be like the, the guy in the chair. 
as mm-hmm. uh, as is so eloquently put in a future movie. Um, so he's the the guy in the chair, and uh, actually, I remember when I first saw the trailer, I was there. I think the whole like, I don't want to say it started, but the the whole perhaps the Fantastic Four could be in the MCU kind of thing could happen. Um, there was oh, it wasn't that that Disney was going to buy Fox. It was there was talks that Disney was going to get Fantastic Four. And okay. because there was the agreement with Guardians that, or the agreement uh, with Guardians to use Ego, and Marvel will also get to use the Skrulls. And I was like, oh man, well, they can just get Fantastic Four at this point because I know that the contract was like, if you don't use Fantastic Four in a certain amount of time, then Marvel just gets the rights back. So, for example, if Sony doesn't use Spider Man, for like i don't know five years or something like that like yeah the rights will revert back which will never happen (laughs) it's too good for sony sony's laughing at this point and they know they know what they did plus that's all they have (laughs) yeah exactly right so so anyway so i was like when i saw hank pym in his chair for the first time with those screens i'm like oh man he's at the baxter building i bet you he's like working with reed richards on something cool and my brain was all over the place but in the end he's a guy in a chair who can just collect information using ants which is Mm -hmm. pretty crazy but awesome at the same time um so yeah so at this point puts on he puts on the suit he's in the bathroom and he tries it on and uh and he shrinks and then we hear hank pym's voice and and i love how they talk about the perspective because really one thing that ant-man tries to do and when you know they introduce like scott lang in the comics is uh is like how intimidating the world actually is in ant-man's size oh yes um, and again, the cartoon, I, I, I really, I feel like we're just doing this podcast so I can just advertise this amazing cartoon. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, but there's a, there is an episode called to steal an Ant-Man where they actually do the Scott Lang episode. And it's, it's a really summarized version of the comic book run, which I have. Um, but, um, the, the scene where they do the, where he shrinks, um, there is a scene in the comics where he actually explains how how crazy the world is at his size. And he talks about things are more territorial. You know, you're not, you're no longer at the top of the food chain. You're at the bottom of the food chain. Like you're, you know, so that therefore you need to be able to do certain things to protect yourself. Right. And that's, and then he explains um, when, when Hank Pym shrank the first time he actually was like, and we're talking like golden age comics. He actually was attacked by ants. Right. And so that's why he built the helmet because he built the helmet because he knew the first thing he had to do when he shrank down again was he had to be able to communicate to the ants because that's going to be his advantage because they they're 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 organized they're this massive army so if he can communicate with them he can control them then you know he's he's essentially conquered that ground right um so so they do a really good fun way to do it where he shrinks into the tub or he shrinks to the tub and then uh Michael Pena's character comes in and just drops his pants. He's like, I don't want to see this. <laughs> gets swept up, knocked around, thrown around the building. And I love, and again, visually they do cool stuff. They make him like, you know, see people jump around. He gets sucked into a vacuum, lands on a DJ scratching table, the whole nine yards. He ends up landing on a car at the end of the whole thing. And um, the car belongs to uh, the actor who did a cameo appearance named Garrett Morris. 
and Morris was actually the first to portray Ant-Man in a live action sequence uh, as part of a superhero costume party in SNL. Oh, that's wild. I didn't know that. Yep. Pretty crazy, wow. right? So this is why you listen to Infinity Rewatch. This is exactly the reason. That's really cool. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. I, and that guy's memorable too, even though he doesn't say a word. Like as soon as you said Ant-Man lands on the car just now, I thought of that man in the car. I'm like, he's like, what's going on on, on my roof here? Um, have you ever seen the movie Downsizing with Matt Damon? It came out about two or three years ago. No, I, I I know the trailer though. I've seen like, yeah, I've seen like scenes and stuff, but I, I have never watched the whole movie. It really, um, it's not a comedy really. It's more like a drama comedy thing. It's more serious than than funny, but it has like lots of light moments. But the whole concept of, is like, you know, we are, humanity is depleting resources too fast. The earth is in trouble, blah, blah, blah. So somebody figures out if we shrink ourselves down to this tiny size, uh, we will consume less food and therefore less water, less resources. You know, we'll save the planet and we'll save our species. So a bunch of people start getting shrunk down and they kind of show what you're talking about here, where they have to go through this whole process where they build tiny neighborhoods for shrunk people to live in, where they have their own houses and, you know, the houses have working electricity and running water and everything. But these neighborhoods have to exist on kind of like the special lot, kind of like a golf course where the whole thing is covered by a, a net to keep away birds and insects. Because what? like if, you know, if I am that big and, uh, you know, a grasshopper comes by, that grasshopper is going to kill me. <laughs> like, yeah. And so th- they had to, you know, they have to compensate by by uh, protecting themselves. And it's not a big thing in the movie, but they allude to it a little bit. And I just remember thinking, like, how terrifying that must be. And I remember the first time I watched Ant-Man, I was like, OK, of all the Avengers superpowers, I think this is the one I would least want to have because his whole training montage, even though, yeah, it's cool. And you get to see him diving through the lock and all that shit. And it's fun. It's terrifying. Uh, the idea of shrinking and like when he shrinks, he kind of falls like you're falling a long way. And then God only knows, you know, what living things are around that you can't see because you're so big. But then as soon as you shrink down, you see them and they see you. And then to top it all off, there's all that fear of like, I could shrink down into the microverse and never return. Yep. That's yeah. And like, that's no, thank you. Scary stuff, right? Um, so scary stuff. And then I love, he goes to return the suit after all that. He's like, Nope, not doing it. You know, returns the suit. And, uh, and, um, so he returns and gets arrested. And I love, and uh, again, I love the cops and just like the, 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 the the guy who's dating his wife and, and stuff. He's like, you know, it's good. It's good that you break their hearts early and all. It is <laughs> hilarious. Again, I know, and I know that kind of that scene and that comedy is definitely coming from Paul Rudd and all that. So, uh, who helped with the writing? So, anyways, it was a good, it was a good little skit. And then Hank Pym breaks him out. Cool way to do it too. Mm-hmm, very cool. And so they, so he gets out, and we get that scene where we're finally seeing how the ants are being used, which are really cool. Yeah, and, and the ones on the floor when he wakes up and Hope is is watching him. She talks about the ants on the floor there, the the bullet ants. I forget their uh, Latin name. Lapinera, nerpinera, nerpinera, uh, and, and he's you know trying not to step on them, and she threatens him. Uh, those bullet ants, 
they they have this crazy sort of history and culture in, in the real world. Uh, there's this tribe. I don't know where they are, Ryan. They're somewhere, I think, in like the, the South Pacific. There's a tribe um, who have as part of their culture a coming-of-age ritual where when children reach a certain age, I think it's like 12 or something, they they put on a glove full of these ants. No. Yeah, it's this whole thing where they they have this, I forget how they make it. They do something with flowers where they make this sort of paste and the fumes of the paste knock the ants out for a while so they can so the humans can go safely pick up the ants and collect them without getting bit. And then they they have this glove that kind of looks like an oven mitt but it's made out of wicker. So it's got, you know, the little crisscross hatching and they, inside every one of the cross hatches, they put an ant. No. And there's two of these gloves. So you have to put on the gloves and I don't know how long you're supposed to wear them for. I don't know if it's like 10 minutes or something like that, but you put these gloves on and the bullet ants wake up and they are not happy to see you. And you have to stand there and take it for however long. And then they take the gloves off and they're like, yay, you're an adult now. Um, but this is like Hope says in the movie, it's number one on the pain index of, I think any insect bite or sting on planet earth. Yeah. So it's not the moral of the story is please don't join this tribe if you can help it. (laughs) After all that. Uh, I mean, I love it though, but I love that, you know, also, you know, they take the time to explain the different type of types of ants. Um, it's kind of like a fun Disney after school way to explain the the culture and and the amazing uh, things that ants can do. Um, before that, before that scene though, the there's a when um, Scott's being flown uh, over to Hank Pym's house, uh, he goes through a streetcar and there's someone reading a newspaper and the headline of that newspaper says, "Who's to blame for Sokovia?" Ooh. And it's a, uh, obviously it's a title that represents the uh, what happened in the events of Age of Ultron and also uh, hints at, you know, what's happening with Civil War. So it's a nice this movie has a lot of subtle things that make it very well connected through the entire MCU. Um, but, yeah, I love that he wakes up at the house. He's surrounded by bullet ants, which would suck. Mm. Be the worst, absolute worst thing to happen to you. Bare feet. He's in bare feet. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, so we get the whole Hank Pym story, um, and a great scene. And I love, again, he's just so in depth of, of he's so in a depth of knowledge of, of what's going on. And, and, and the recruitment scene's awesome. I think it's such a, again, it's such a great passing of the torch moment of, um, of it's a great passing of the torch moment of like Scott Lang to become the new Ant-Man, uh, and, uh, my brother was not, my brother and I weren't exactly a fan of the whole, like, can we change the name? Because we thought it was Marvel maybe making a jab at like, maybe they should change the name. But in the end, they, I think it's just, it is a fun, fun approach to this fun approach to how ridiculous this character's name is. And that line didn't even make the cut. It's not in the film. Yeah, it's true. It didn't, yeah, it didn't it make trailer it. trailer only just like, uh, Pepper Potts kissing the helmet. Was yes. Just yeah. trailer fodder. Yeah, just trailer fodder indeed. So so I love the scene and uh again it's it's I love seeing the lab. The lab is so cool. It's 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 such a great comic book feel to that that movie. And the training sequence and training montage is so much fun. 
Um, you know, I, and I do have one note about the training montage, though. I will admit it is my least favorite part of the movie. Really? Um, well, one particular part of it is my least favorite part. Uh, it's just that in the middle of the training montage, they they stuffed in a bit too much exposition in one place at one time, particularly about Hope and her her mom. Uh, you know, like in the middle of the fight, it's like my mother died in a car crash. That's what my dad told me. And it, it felt like it, they were just compensating for the fact that their movie wasn't very long. So it was all happening there. And to me, I would have kind of spread that to other places because it just it felt like it was way too much at once. Like he's training. And then, oh, by the way, here's my backstory. Yeah, well, and, and but I did like that you know, hope is trying to, you know, you kind of learn, you even learn very early on to like, give me the suit, I'll do it. And he's like, no. And he's, he, you do get that kind of nod right away. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I love, you know, I kind of agree with you that the, the moment may have broken the pacing a little bit, but I love, I still loved it nonetheless, because I, that scream of no, it, it was that nice nod for me that like he is that broken man that I know from the comics and like he's yes. he's very much fighting himself. Um and and I love that he says he can't wear the suit because it, it's just it's done too much to him already. And I was just like, Yes, oh my god, that it's perfect. It's <laughs> such a great way to just give us this newer character. Um, gotta admit though, you know, during the training sequence, man, Paul Rudd, man, way to get in shape. And this dude's in his like forties. Like <laughs> I think he's in his he late forties. A handsomest man on planet Earth. Mm. Bar and, none. and obviously bar none. And uh Evangeline Lily, man, just kicking that. Just she is a hard hitter, man, when she throws those punches and kicks. Um and uh great scene. Uh I I do love it a little bit, and I love how he's like, okay, you learn the suit. And it's it is feels a bit like an origin movie, but they do a good job trying to keep it fun and light, um, and they explain the ants and how the ants work. But I want to get to the scene, and I'm I'm ruffling through this as quickly as possible. The missile scene where they talk about what happened to Wasp, and that is so good. Oh my god, it that is how you do it, guys. That is how you do characters that you expect to see in the movie and how you respect the lore and uh and it was always like it always felt um to me at least that we weren't done with janet uh i feel like some people could go into that movie and watch it and think this is just them this is all we're going to get on janet we're explaining why it's hope instead of janet moving on um and i think a lot of lesser superhero movies do that but mm-hmm. I guess because at this point I'm so tuned into how the MCU works, I was like, okay, this is a seed for the future. We're we're not done with Janet. They're definitely gonna find her. Yeah, and, and I, I I agree with you, but and I love that they kind of like just gave you that little reassurance, I think is the best way to say it. Definitely reassurance that uh don't worry, Wasp is you know, this is what happened to her. We'll see what happens, kind of thing. Um, but I love that we got to see Wasp. I love that we physically got to see Wasp and uh, see what happened there. And I love that he's dealing with this missile. Great scene. Super small, but it speaks volumes to like the lore of the movie. So yeah. great stuff. Um, and so this, so the training sequence is fine. And then they talk about, okay, cool. 
And then he gets his first test and he heads to uh, what was supposed to be the Stark warehouse. Right. I loved this. This was, I think this was one of the first big times outside of Avengers where another hero, uh, aside from obviously Black Widow and Iron Man, where another hero was in another um, was in a a different movie. So like Cap, he had Falcon, but they they share the same story arc, and we get Black Widow. But Falcon was in Ant Man. This is the first time we're seeing you know someone outside of Shield, like you know Black Widow or uh, Fury. Uh, we're getting Falcon in uh, in the Ant Man movie, and it was so good. It was such a fun scene. It was, it was terrific. And you're right. This becomes a uh, this becomes a pattern here, and this is why, like, I love Phase Three so much mm-hmm. because at this point, there's there really is no such thing as a solo movie anymore. From here right. on out, it just yeah. becomes a movie with Marvel characters in it, and maybe this one stars Ant Man, but it's not a solo movie anymore. Not like we had in Phase One and Phase Two. Now mm-hmm. it's like it's a box of chocolates. Yeah, you're gonna go in and you're gonna watch. Uh, you know, Doctor Strange 3, but you never know who the hell. Yeah, it's Doctor Strange 3, but guess what? Uh, the Invisible Woman is in it, and uh, so is so is Shang-Chi. Like, it, I love that so much. I, and that's, that's, that's how Marvel thrived originally, even in yeah. the comics. It was seeing... It was seeing different characters just appearing. Like oftentimes Spider-Man would be hanging out with Johnny Storm. Like it just happened, right? And and it, I couldn't agree with you more. I loved it. And in the movies, I mean, before that, Iron Man 3, Hulk was in the last part of it. Like he was he was barely in it. And <laughs> and it it drove me nuts. And I can't think of any other reference aside from Black Widow being an Iron Man. Uh, that we saw another character cross into another another character's movie um, that wasn't like Black Widow or even Hawkeye. You know what I mean? Like S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. Like right. I'm, I'm talking like another hero. Like a, And don't get me wrong, Black Widow and Hawkeye are heroes, guys, before we all <laughs> up and rally here. Before we all up and rally on this channel, let me tell you, okay? I'm talking like, I'm talking like someone outside of the S.H.I.E.L.D. circle, Okay which is Hawkeye and Black Widow, someone outside of them that's like non-Shield related and Falcon, man. That was a cool scene. Well done. Loved every second of it. And I love that, you know, he he jumps out of the plane. He's like, didn't you say it was supposed to be an old warehouse? It's not. And he looked down and you just see the Avengers facility. Oh, it's so good. So uh, good. Wonderful. And it, it's, it just, it paved the way for what phase three became. And I love that aspect so much. Please let phase four continue that trend. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, if, you know, in Shang-Chi, if, if we see, I don't know, if we see War Machine for like a scene, that yeah. like, I'll be happy. Like, that is so beautiful. That's what the MCU is about to me. Yeah. And, and, and again, and, and War Machine and Iron Man 2 is a great example as well. It's, it's one of those things where... Uh, and even Incredible Hulk, like, just it's all coming to me now. Tony Stark was in it for like two seconds. Like, he came in the last possible second. Um, and, uh, but yeah, even War Machine, like, War Machine's a part of Iron Man. So it's not really like heroes crossing into other stories. Like, this is someone from Cap's world in Ant Man's world. And that's awesome. Like, right. give me more of that. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I used to watch uh, Smallville 
all the time back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah, you did. And Smallville got to this point like in season, less than 10 years. I want to say like season six onward. Yeah. It got to this point where, you know, every other episode, Green Arrow would be in it or like Aquaman would show up or, or something mm-hmm. or something. And I love that because it got to this point where it stopped being young Superman, the show, and it became just DC, the show. And that's what I, that's what I want. <laughs> I know. Right. That's, that's exactly it. Right. That's, that's what you want. Um, it's it. And I could agree with you more. I mean, I, I remember that Smallville. I remember, I remember that it was good. It was, it was awesome. A bit cheesy, but I, I still dug it. Um, a lot of very beautiful men in that show. I will, I will just put it that way, as well, well as women. CW <laughs> does not hire anybody less attractive than like Margot Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so love that scene. Had to mention that. Um, and then you know they they get the tech, and then I love again we get you know they have to expand their team because Darren Cross you know was a little bit paranoid and he was going to kill Hank Pym. Fun fact, actually, that scene, I didn't think he was going to kill him. I thought he was just there to to talk to him. Yeah. I was, I, I was fooled. During the rewatch, I forgot that that was why he was actually there. Yeah. I forgot that was his whole thing. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I'd be remiss also not to mention, like, how, how they talked to the ants. I thought that was really clever using that Marvel science explanation, which is almost convincing. Yeah, it worked uh, for me. It worked for me. I'd buy it. I'll, I'll buy it. You know, you know, I can't, I can't quite explain it. Electro signals, yeah, right? You just show us the helmet with the blinking lights and I'm like, okay, Cerebro, got it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so yeah, I wanted to mention that and I love how, I love how Hope and Scott connect. I, I really thought that was genuine as well. Um, and so, Okay, so Darren tries to quote unquote kill him. Love that scene. Uh, figures out figures out how to make the suit. They they now know they need to go stop him. Um, and uh, and I love that they expand the team, bringing in the gang again. Which now this time they're very much useful. Yeah. Uh, and the whole high sequence with uh, the whole high sequence at uh, at Pym Tech was was just just a pleasure and i i gotta bring it up too because the it, two things two things that were interesting in the, the the heist scene there so before the action starts um first of all darren's invited is uh the the clients if you will uh to the room and of course we see mitch carson again the the hydra agent he's on uh, and, and if you watch carefully one of the henchmen in the back is part of the 10 rings oh no way Yes, sir. How how do you know? Like, is he somebody we've seen before? No, he's not. He's not like a character from the comics or anything. It's a, it's a. You see him, and he's got the tattoo of uh, of the ten rings on his neck. Oh my god, that's brilliant. Yep. Uh, Small things, but Peyton Reed, man, really big attention to detail. Like this guy really has a lot of layers to his uh, to his Ant Man movie. For a, a movie that seemed like nobody wanted to do, this guy, like with the whole Edgar Wright bowing out, not getting, I think it was a conflict of creativity. Um, but man, Peyton Reed, this guy was a comic book fan, saw an opportunity, and just like found found layers of details in this. And got to use a lot of cool things. Um, so the fight scene breaks out, and that's that's fight scene when he's like dodging through the um, 
the the dioramas and everything that's supposed to be where you're supposed to see the zoolander reference i made earlier yeah so that that scene was happened is awesome also i forgot uh to add this note in here so the talk about what happened to janet uh that actually did happen in the comics um it was similar she wasn't on a missile but she did mysteriously disappear to a point where she shrank out of existence for a while Ooh, she, okay. she did slip into what they call the microverse which is the quantum realm um so i wanted to point that out almost forgot that uh and then so uh so that's fun and then <laughs> fun little side note um you know uh michael pina's character says he, he wanted to whistle to yeah i love to, that line i was thinking you know it could blend in like a whistle or something, you know. <laughs> he's he's yeah. so genuinely like proud of that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such a weird thing that he that he thinks that whistling is gonna you know bring him in. <laughs> um, but I will say that uh, that I will say that. Do you know what he's whistling? Did you did you happen to catch the tune? Yeah, he's whistling. Um, oh God, I I don't know why I didn't write it down in my notes. It was. Uh, I'm blanking now. Help me out. What was it? Ah, yes, it's a small world. It was something Disney-ish. Yeah. Yep. It's a small world after all. Yeah. And it has to do with Ant-Man because he's small. Well, yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. It's a, it's a great action sequence. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so the action sequence is great. I loved how they choreographed. As yeah, someone who enjoys fight choreography, I, I love action movies. Um, I love how they choreographed Ant-Man's fighting. I love the shrinking in the in the... Oh. And this, or I should say, the size shifting. I love the size shifting that that they did to how he would fight. Um, so we get the scene where the guys are shooting at him. He shrinks and jumps through the bullet hole through the door, um, which is wicked. Uh, and that was part of the leaked footage we saw, uh, which brings us back to the original part of it. I uh, love the the bullet ants thing, clapanera, napanera, and uh, the helicopter fight in Yellow Jacket was amazing. That was oh. super cool. Now, like I said earlier, how I out of all the Avengers powers, Ant Man's is the one I would probably least want to have. But on the flip side of that coin, Ryan, and I know you're going to agree with me on this one, out of all the Avengers that we've gotten in the MCU, I can't think of anyone who would lend itself better to a video game than Ant Man. Like there, there's so much you could do with the with the shrinking and. The idea of exploring like a world that is bigger than it would be in real life because you shrunk down. I don't know if you ever played on the N64. I used to play uh, a Toy Story 2 game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. You play as Buzz Lightyear for the whole game. And like Mm -hmm. a lot of the levels, you're just running around like Andy's house or Al's apartment or whatever. And you're, you know, running through the kitchen and you climb up the drawers and you jump into the sink. And like there's so much. They, they turn the mundane world into a playground because you're small. And the idea of doing that, but, you know, with better gameplay and better graphics, because it's today now, and uh, even smaller, because Ant-Man gets pretty tiny, and playing with that concept and the different ways things could be used as weapons or different dangers that might face you that you wouldn't pose a danger to a fully grown human. God, there's so much. I If I was working in a game industry somewhere. I mean, I know they just came out with an Avengers game, but my first priority would be like somebody make Ant-Man 
we're going to do this. <laughs> you know, and it's it's funny too because again in in video games, uh Ant-Man is coming uh, according to rumors, uh the data mining of the Marvel Avengers game, Ant-Man is coming to uh to Marvel Avengers and you'll be able to play him. You actually get to see him in the game, but you don't get to play him um yet. But uh, when you do the Pimtech thing, it's fun to shrink da- shrink down uh, enemies. But yeah, I'm curious to see how they're going to do that because again, it would be really cool to shrink down and 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 see the game from a different perspective, kind of thing. I don't know if they're if or how they're going to do it, but it, it would be really cool. Um, I I will also say the only other time I've seen Ant Man where you can play him is a Marvel game. That was on the PC called Marvel Heroes, and it was kind of like a Diablo approach to Marvel, or yeah, Diablo. So it was a Diablo game with Marvel characters. Right. Um, but again, they with the size shifting, Ant Man shrinks, and you could deal a lot of damage to characters, but you don't really see it from his perspective. You just see him. Shrink. Yeah, that's not what I want. I want to like jump into uh, like a kitchen cabinet and like you know stuff yeah. i want like big bugs and birds to come after me i want like the shrinking experience uh exactly man and you could do so much with that you could do you could have a lot a lot of fun with it um even actually even wasp you could play wasp in uh, ultimate alliance 3 and oh, again cool. doesn't you can't shrink can't shrink in that you can watch her shrink but you can't shrink in that hmm. um so that being said, um, the fight scene's amazing. You're you're absolutely right. Great way to summarize it. It's really cool to see how they use different weapons. I love the Thomas the Tank Engine reference. That was yeah. really fun. Um, and then the okay, so so let's fast forward a little bit. And so he ends up shrinking between the molecules and taking out Yellow Jacket, which was fun. Um, great way to do it. Uh, and kind of a nice nod to you know the theme of the movie oh yeah so he shrinks between molecules now the trailer there was trailer footage uh i think the trailer footage he's in that world and janet's supposed to fly by him and that was it like you just see a flash of a like a bug flying around him and then just leaves um so obviously they kibosh that one uh and then it's it then uh apparently dr strange is supposed to go through the quantum realm and he's supposed to see Ant-Man. That was another big thing. Oh. Uh, because one of when Doctor Strange goes through his trip, uh, apparently he goes to where Ant-Man was in that realm. Um, so there was that reference there as well. Uh, but that would that didn't happen in the Ant-Man movie. That happened in the Doctor Strange one. So that was there. Anyways, uh, really cool. Gets out of it, and uh, all you know, all is well in the Ant Man world. And he's trying to find out how Scott did it, and he loves that he doesn't remember. Um, and uh, and so, uh, helping him connect. And I think, uh, what else is going on there? Is there anything else in the? Well, I know in the microverse when he or the quantum realm, whatever it's called, when he mm-hmm. goes in there. There's uh, there's some kind of you see like the the shadow of what's supposed to be Janet like looking at him for maybe a second and it's like right before he kind of pops back out to normal size and leaves um, and I I like I I remember somebody freeze framed that and then they were showing it off right before Ant Man and the Wasp came out to be like look there she is and this is my first time watching 
the first Ant-Man in a long ass time. So I was looking out for that now and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw the shadow. It's actually there for enough time. To, like, it's not like you blink and you miss it. Like it's there for like a decent amount of time. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. It's still terrifying the concept of going into that quantum realm. That's just it's horrific. Um, and, but like, I love that even though, yes, that's the way he ends up defeating Yellow Jacket. I think it's so perfect. It's so freaking perfect for the theme of this movie that the the big fight takes place on a toy train set. Like, <laughs> oh man. So good. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great fight scene. And again, it's, it's, again, the villain overall, I think, I think Darren Cross was a great villain. The actor was great, but in terms of the stakes of the villain, I don't think they were really that risky. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, well, they had to elevate it themselves, right? Like it, it yeah. went from like him selling the suit and then they foiled him really quickly. So they, the movie kind of had to be like, oh shit, we need to make this intense. So they elevated it where he's like, okay, I'm going to go kill your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, that's how it went down. And I mean, I mean, even with Hank Pym trying to get into the thing and the cops stop him and he's like, you have to let me in. Uh, you know, there's the, there's a great danger or something. They're like, that sounds really serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they kind of even make it a kind of a fun little nod there. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it was really fun. And then, so, you know, the movie wraps up and I love this sequence. So we get the end credit sequence, uh, the Lewis story again, that's the character's name. I've been dying to remember Lewis's story. So Lewis's story, and he talks about the painting and the red wine, uh, or no, seriously, talks about the painting and he talks about <laughs> what kind of paintings he likes. And he talks about how Falcon's trying to find him. Yeah. I'm a Neil Cubist guy. <laughs> I'm a Neil Cubist guy. Yeah. You know, something realistic. Uh, but anyway, so he's, he talks about how his friend was at his friend or his cousin was at a club and he's talking with this, uh, talking with this girl who knows a super guy, which is Falcon. Um, and I love that we get the Stan Lee cameo uh, with the crazy, stupid fight. Yeah, I was like, I was so wrapped up in the movie when I was just watching it that like I totally didn't even realize that we hadn't gotten Stan Lee yet. And he yeah. comes in like right at the end. And when I saw him, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that's right. We haven't seen him yet. Um, but like this whole this whole thing, Ryan, I'm dying to know what it did to you as a Spider-Man fan. <laughs> because when she drops that line about guys who crawl on walls. At this point, we had no idea that what happens in Civil War was going to happen. So what did that comment do for you? Were you just like, ah, oh, it's just a silly reference. It doesn't mean anything. Or did you jump out of your seat and be like, oh, my God, it's confirmed. This was at the time when when anything Marvel gave us, you would just run with it. Like any any little detail, you would just run the mile and you would be like, Oh my God, they're going to do this, this, and this. So at the time my head literally exploded just like, uh, and I remember um, this movie actually, I would be, I totally should have mentioned this right at the beginning. This movie actually has a very special place in my heart because the timing of this movie, um, I up until, up until after this movie, uh, my brother and I had a ritual, which was we would go to the pre-screening and and every single Marvel pre-screening, and we'd watch the Marvel movie, and we'd get all hyped and talk about it. 
And uh, so this particular movie uh, was before my brother moved to Victoria. So this was actually the last Marvel movie pre-screening wise we saw together. Oh, wow. Um, until uh, until uh, for a uh, wedding gift, sort of, uh, we saw Thor Ragnarok together um, as a pre-screening, but I had to fly down to see him and everything. So yeah, this was our, and then at the same time I introduced him to now who's my fiance and, and not introduced, but we actually all spent the, the, we all went to the pre-screening together. So that, that became like a, a thing where my fiance, my now fiance would see the pre-screenings with me and my brother, um, my brother who's now in Victoria does, is not able to see them with me. So we have to kind of call him to compare notes. So, uh, and for some reason you were just you know you saw the movies on your own you didn't want to see them with us i mean what the hell man i and you know what it's weird most of the marvel movies even the, like especially the recent ones i don't remember who i saw them with um because you didn't see them with me see them with you that's why i remember infinity war because we had the big party um and then like i remember thor one and avengers one i was with my dad yep and the rest is a blur like i don't remember it's so crazy that it that it ended up like that. I'm usually good at remembering who I see stuff with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we we saw uh, Black Panther and Avengers: Infinity War together, so those were pretty epic. Um, but yeah, once the whole COVID thing's over, we have to get uh, back into it. When as soon as Black Widow is is ready to rock, we are jumping into that. Movie. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have a a socially distant watching party or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they do it on Disney Plus, and then or <laughs> if they do it in the theater um anyway so so yeah so they he mentions or sorry the uh the woman mentions uh that there's guys who can crawl on walls and i just lost it i was just like oh my god did did they do it because there was no rumors or anything that that spider-man was being acquired by marvel or anything there was nothing yeah there's nothing at all so that like like that's why it's like I was thinking, oh, you know, that she's just saying that as like a wink and that's it. Yep. And so so it was just kind of a nod. And then what was crazy about it, what was crazy about it was that I think it was in the news that Marvel announced that they have a partnership with Sony. But that was like months after this movie. Like it was just like, by the way, that nod you saw, yeah, we have a partnership with uh, with the new. It was the new deal with Sony and Marvel, oh, and wow. that was that was huge, and that was big because uh, Amazing Spider Man failed, and and then Marvel, you know, has this deal with Sony and Kevin Feige. Man, just this guy is just a godsend, and you know, oh, just amazing. <laughs> and and then not only that, you know, talk about good end credit sequences, like we get that one. Um, and, uh, we get the, uh, Sokovia Accords. Um, I don't know. Was that the Sokovia Accords? That was, we get the, um, the I wasp. Know we get the wasp one, we get the wasp. And then we get, I know a guy. Yeah. So we got technically three end credit sequences in that movie, um, uh, which is pretty epic. So, uh, so yeah, we get the wasp. Um, uh, so yeah. So we get the wasp and then the suit looked amazing. And and so this movie was wrapped up in a neat little package and just done. Like just amazing. And I I loved it. Oh man, I loved it. It was a fantastic movie. Yeah, it's you know, I, I had no idea what to expect. 
like I knew Ant-Man the character and that was it. I didn't know what I was in for. Uh, and, you know, coming hot on the heels, it, it's kind of sandwiched in between two juggernauts. You know, you have Age of Ultron and then Civil War. So it's this yep. literally and figuratively small movie uh, and it fits and it works and it's still a Marvel movie. It still feels big. It still feels like it's moving the story forward. Uh, I Yeah, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I think that it's kind of like it's just a little franchise that could, you know, the sequel comes out, people still like it. It's the same thing. And I, I feel like Ant-Man 3 will be the same deal. Uh, but if it introduces Kang, like they say they will, it might even be a bigger uh, deal. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll just wait and see. Now I'm, I'm looking at my Marvel character encyclopedia here and yep. uh, adding characters who they have added from the comics. And I've got both of the Ant-Men, both of the Wasps, I've got Darren Cross, Yellow Jacket, uh, and who else from the comics made the cut into this film, Ryan Joseph Wade? Uh, we have Mitch Carson. Mitch, oh yeah, he's that mean guy. He's a meanie. He's All right, a meanie. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we also have Cassie Lang. Oh, that's right, yeah. And she is going to become a hero too. That's great. And then in terms of uh, deaths, I think our only death was Darren Cross. Uh, yeah, yep, that was a pretty nasty death. <laughs> it was a very nasty. So he is joining the cemetery. So what do you think his gravestone looks like in the Marvel Memorial Cemetery? I'm picturing uh, a stone bug zapper. A stone and marble bug zapper. Stone and marble... Uh... Uh, you know, I would actually, I would see like, uh, I would see a tiny rock and it, and then if you use a magnifying glass and like look at the rock, it would be, uh, <laughs> they uh, hide his grave. No, they, they, it would say, it would say here lies the particle of, uh, <laughs> oh. oh, that's harsh. Oh, so how many infinity stones are we going to oh. give? ant-man so we rate every movie uh on a scale from zero infinity stones to six and if we really like it more than six we go all in and we give it an infinity gauntlet what's your verdict ryan oh man i okay i can't give it a gauntlet because if i keep if i give it a gauntlet it's gonna really tarnish the value of my like gauntlet giveaway yeah gauntlet can't be willy-nilly yeah it can't be you can't just give it away like crazy so i'm gonna say I'm going to give it a solid five. Five Infinity Stones. Guess what? You did the same thing. I did the exact same thing. Best friends for life. I know. We were, uh, yeah, it's deserving of that five. It it could have gone wrong. Uh, It could have very easily gone wrong. It could have very easily felt out of place. And it could have very easily just been lost in the shuffle between these much bigger movies. But it didn't fall victim to any of those things. Uh, and like it's not even the best written or even the funniest Marvel movie. Nope. But it still just manages to do what it's there to do. And it does, it, it does its job well. Uh, it's so competent and it's so confident in itself and what it is. And never tries to be more and it never settles for less. And I think I have just nothing but mad respect for it for that. I honestly, I can't really, that, that is, 
I if I were you, I would just stop the podcast there because that's <laughs> like that's like how you wrap up a movie. I would I will just say to add to that, based on what you're saying, and I kind of agree, it 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 earned its place. It earned its place. It it, it it may not be at the top, may not be at the bottom, but it earned its place. Um and I I couldn't agree with what you say more. Um, I will say that the reason why, one of the main reasons why I didn't give it six or even a gauntlet is the also the villain for me. Nothing wrong with the actor. Nothing wrong with the villain. It's just the the stakes for the the like the, the conflict wasn't intense enough for me. Right. Yeah. And it was uh, to me too. I found it a very quick movie. Um, mm. And there's nothing wrong with a movie being short, but it felt like it was over really fast. Like we're training and we're in the heist and the end. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it, it didn't, uh, there's nothing really that you could add to it, but it's just the, the way the story was laid out was very, I guess they could have added just like some more meat in the middle uh, of getting to know the, the characters and, and making hopes backstory a little less forced. I don't know. That's something I would have to toy around with, but I think, uh, I think it it was not uh, short to the point where I felt like I was cheated out of half a movie, but yeah. I still, I still would have loved more. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more, man. Um, so good, uh, and um, yeah, man. I I just oh man, it's but it it still it's it still earned its place. And I will also say this movie was was amazing in the sense of how it respected the comic book lore. As you guys heard from this podcast, I even forgot to mention on one of the posters as as Scott Lang was heading to his his hotel, or whatever. Um, there was the poster of the soda in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, that's wicked! So that was in there. You know, you had the references from like West Coast Avengers. You had the references from like ant-man references in in pop culture you had uh so many comic book references without even knowing you know like mitch carson um uh, which is huge you know and the, that hotel that you mentioned that name like yeah the references yeah. are off the charts the jack kirby thing which i didn't even catch either yeah like there's there, like peyton really this is this was peyton's like thank you letter yeah. for like making him a director in the mcu and like you know it's a labor he, of love it's a labor of love. And now he's up there with like your John Favreau's, your, your Russo brothers, you know, and taking a character, even though the movie was like, as you poetically said, you know, it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't the, the greatness. It wasn't bad. It, it, it just earned its place. Um, and, and he and Peyton Reed got to earn his place in the comic book world that he's always wanted to do. Oh, for sure. And, uh, I'm just, as much as you know, there are bigger Marvel projects that will always steal the spotlight. I will still never stop being excited for the next Ant-Man story or movie or whatever we get. But uh, I hope you guys will also never stop being excited for Infinity Rewatch because oh, yeah. we're we're always excited to do it. Uh, and this has been a wonderful, fantabulous episode. It's so nice to get back into the the audio saddle with you, Ryan, and talk about. Uh, couldn't agree more, buddy. This uh, this lockdown has has kept us uh, apart for a while. Um, I mean, we we recorded our last episode back in like March, like right before we could stop going over to people's houses. 
So it was it was nice to finally come back and, and do another episode with you. And uh, we'll do another one very soon in the near future. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, all of you Marvel heads out there, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. And if you want to check out Ryan's Twitch, Ryan, tell them about your Twitch and what you're doing over there. All right, guys. So if you want to see me on Twitch, you can find me on two channels. You can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Xbox Canada. Yeah. Ooh, that's the country we live in. Yeah. <laughs> and also you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash easy encore, which is the Microsoft training program that I'm a part of. Um, playing lots of games and having good times on those channels. Uh, and yeah, so make sure you check us out. And where can they find you, sir? They can find me on a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Andrew Fantasia, and on YouTube uh, as, as the Andrew Fantasia channel um, as well. That's That's the channel. That's my name, and it's also the channel. But you can also find me on Rebel Scum Podcast uh, talking about the Star Wars, which is also ramping up because Mandalorian Season 2 is coming out. Uh, by the time you hear this, though, you'll have already seen Mandalorian Season 2, so you won't be excited by that news like I am right now. But that is Infinity Rewatch. Ryan, thank you so much, brother. It's always a pleasure. Fantasia, my friend, my best friend, thank you so much. And until next time, you have a marvelous day. <laughs>